Hello and welcome back to Scottish Independence Podcasts. Fiona here. This week's podcast was originally broadcast on the TNT show on Independence Live's YouTube channel. It is John Drummond interviewing Stephen Flynn for about 20 minutes, followed by John and Mike Small from Bella Caledonia discussing the conversation and various other things. It's really quite an interesting episode. Hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the TNT show. I'm John Drummond. We have Stephen Flynn, leader of the SNP group at Westminster. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good, John. How are you doing? Well, I'm looking forward to it. We interviewed your uh, predecessor, Ian Blackford, oh, I think when we first started the programme about three years ago. And, uh, and, and that, was, that was great fun. Uh, I think at that time he was in Portcullis House. Is that where you are now? It is. That's where I'm sat just now, Ian. Yeah, I remember it well. <laughs> Now, we don't have a lot of time, uh, and I'm greatly uh, appreciative of the time that you do have with us, Stephen. So I want to cut right to the chase, if you don't mind. And I'd like to put to you, if I may, some questions that people have sent to us in advance. Uh, one, one question comes up time and time again on this programme, increasingly, is about sovereignty. People are troubled about where sovereignty lies. And uh, the, the two favourite uh, feelings about sovereignty, I think it'd be fair to say, are the Scots are sovereign. But at the same time, in an interesting way, Westminster is also sovereign. And the question that people are confused over is how can you have two sovereign entities? No, I think that's that's fair. It's something which gets gets said to me a fair bit as well when I'm travelling around the country, speaking to lots of different branches and members and, and yes, activists in, in general. Look, as a point of fact it's the uk parliament which is is sovereign on these isles i don't think anyone can can realistically argue with that where we differ in our views is that we obviously believe that sovereignty should ultimately lie with the the people of scotland and that's what we want to seek to achieve that they have that that final decision making over all aspects of of their life in a way that they don't at this moment in time it's for this place to determine so many things that impact upon us whether that's how we deal with the cost of living crisis or the economy or trade or migration or indeed foreign affairs all of which are pretty hotly debated topics at the moment but the one that's most important to probably all of us is supporters of scottish independence which is the constitution and you know the supreme court was pretty clear that responsibility for that rests down here and you know that's that's a major frustration for all of us because it's obviously curtailing our ability to ensure that the people of Scotland have that democratic say over their own over their own future. Thanks for that it doesn't quite resolve the the question though because the, the reality is that do you believe let me ask you the question direct do you believe that the Scottish people are sovereign? Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, I believe the Scottish people should be uh, sovereign and are sovereign. But unfortunately, because of... With accepting rule from Westminster? Yeah, because of the the nature of the the union that we have, ultimately, Parliament is sovereign on on these isles. So as much as I I want something to be the case, uh, and I believe something should be the case in terms of the people of Scotland being able to determine all aspects of, of their life, it's it's a point of fact that the UK Parliament is is a sovereign entity, and that's that's to my great frustration. And of course, as I said earlier, it's curtailing our our ability to you know do the things that we want to do across a whole host of policy areas, and ultimately ensure that people of Scotland can decide their own future. Some people have said that Scots sovereignty is a moral position. 
and Westminster sovereignty is a legal position. Mm. Would you agree with that? <laughs> um, you're probably delving me into territory here, uh, which is is somewhat legalistic in its in its outlook. But yeah, I guess as a point of as a point of principle, we're probably not that far away from agreement uh, in relation to that. And you know that's that's the reality of the situation on these aisles. And hopefully, we can be in a point soon where we can change that. So it would be a journey then, if that were the case, from the, the moral case to the legal case, i.e., that the moral case is already established. Scots are sovereign. Uh, in order to give that effect, one needs to persuade Westminster to accept that moral case. Would that I, I think, you put it? No, I would, I would, I would probably simplify that down. That it's not necessarily a case of convincing Westminster. I think it's probably a case of convincing the the majority of the Scottish people to to vote for it, to vote for Scotland to, to be an independent democratic nation uh, and to put that sovereignty back into into their hands. And I guess that's that's why the general election is going to be so important this year. Um, and we need to make sure that we have a very clear understanding of the fact that, you know, well, whether that's uh, Scottish National Party MPs or otherwise, whether we're going to be the ones who are arguing that case for Scotland to have control over its own future. And that's in stark contrast, of course, to the Labour Party, the Tories and the Lib Dems. Yeah, the government is saying as recently as today uh, that in the case of Northern Ireland, uh, while there may be well be a case to be made, presumably they've dropped the word moral, but a case to be made for reunification, nonetheless, the time is not right. Now is not the time. And now is not the time. There was a former Prime Minister, I think it was Theresa May, who coined that phrase, wasn't it? Um, It's a good argument because what it says is I'm not saying no because by saying no, it would produce a constitutional crisis. Yeah, I think... avoided that by saying not now. Yeah, there was was an interesting intervention. I think it was John Major last year. Um, Was it last year? I think it was last year who wrote that the the UK government should effectively be outlining the circumstances under which they would allow um, and would permit a border poll in in Northern Ireland. But, you know, that's that's a matter for the for the Northern Irish people. It's for people who live there um, to to determine what happens uh, with their constitutional future and the journey that they're on. Um, I'm very much focused on the constitutional journey we're on and and the future we want to see, which, of course, is, is that independent nation. I like your view on this. A lot of people have argued that in complete agreement with what you've just said, they say, hey, we, we need to, I think the expression is, hold Westminster's feet to the fire a little bit here and be assertive. And one of the best ways of doing that, perhaps, and I think this possibly SNP policy, uh, is to put together a constitutional convention like happened in the case of devolution. An old friend of mine helped to put that together, Canon Kenyon Wright. And it was hugely successful. Not everyone participated. The SNP didn't, and I, I can't remember if the Tories participated very fully. But nonetheless, it had enormous impact yeah. because it, it, was, it wasn't just a party or a series of parties speaking. It was the Scottish people speaking. And that's yeah. very hard to deny. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, and particularly when you're bringing together the political world in the civic world um, in, in Scottish daily life. And I think there's a huge power that lies underneath that. And you're right to, to touch upon it. You're also right to touch upon the fact that it is obviously something which was agreed by the party um, at its conference. And I'm 
I'm hopeful that we can get to a point where we can bring that together. Of course, one of the, the big barriers to that happening in probably the coming months is a general election. I can't imagine there's going to be many partners who are going to want to, to delve into that in advance of uh, the public going to the polls. But, you know, the, the inescapable reality of where we are at the moment, irrespective of the polls in relation to, to the SNP or otherwise, is that the independence figures remain pretty solid. Roughly 50% of our fellow Scots want independence. And that's before we we start a positive campaign to to bring our others onto, onto our side as well. So it, it's not going away. It's not going to go away now. It's not going to go away whether there's a Labour government, uh, be that majority or, or minority. And it's for politicians in, in London to accept and to understand that. But the thing that we can do whilst they are dithering is to try and galvanise that support, to bring together that, that wider civic society in Scotland, to have that national conversation about how we ensure that Scotland's democracy is respected and what powers we believe should be transferred to Scottish Parliament in the interim, but ultimately how we make sure that ultimate power over our own future is transferred as soon as possible as well. Isn't there an argument, though, uh, taking your point about an upcoming election, that, that the independence position generally speaking, would be strengthened prior to election if uh, the Scottish people were told categorically there will be a constitutional convention. These are the groups who will be represented. And yeah. when you vote uh, in November, whenever whenever uh, the Prime Minister, whoever that happens to be at that time, <laughs> decides it's appropriate, um, then people will know that one of the outcomes of that election is the very thing that you've said is desirable, i.e. there will be a constitutional committee. It's not a debate, it's not a discussion, it, this will take place. And yeah. this is the timing of that. In other words, whatever the outcome is, and you would expect the SNP support to uh, perhaps uh, be a little bit greater than it is just now, because even though the figures for independence have remained fairly solid over the years, the SNP support, according to the opinion polls, has not. And that might be a way of engendering a warmer feeling amongst the electorate, then I say, if you were able to say, this is what's going to happen, categorically, no question about it. So, so, so I, I don't disagree with the, the premise of what you're saying. What I would maybe do is is be a little bit of a devil's advocate in terms of the practicalities of that, because of course, the only way to bring a constitutional convention together is to have willing participants. Um, and it's probably going to be a little bit challenging for some people to agree to sign up to something in advance uh, of an election and say it's definitely happening. But as a point of principle in terms of what we want to see achieved, the party has been clear uh, in that regard. And, you know, the sooner we can we can do that, the better. But we do need all partners to come together, those who believe in independence and those who don't, and those from right across uh, all aspects of, of Scottish society to come forward to chart that path forward. Because we need we need the logjam to to be broken. Uh, we we can't continue, yeah 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 we can't continue to sit with fifty percent of the people of Scotland believing in something, and then um, obviously the politicians in Westminster turned in a blind eye to that because of the basis of where where power rests in in, in these aisles. Exactly. Another question that's cropped up, and and you're the perfect man to answer this. Well, that sounds worrying. <laughs> <laughs> is if people have said, look, isn't there a danger? If the whole SNP group is at Westminster all of the time, that that serves to legitimise the Westminster concept of sovereignty and erode the moral Scottish case. In other words, you seem to be participating in the very system that you want to not participate in. 
and it looks like a sort of non sequitur to some people. And again, you know, that's a question which has been posed to me uh, on a number of occasions, and it's usually uh, probably worded slightly different, which is why why don't you just abstain from from Parliament? No, I'm not saying that. that. I'm not. No, 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 no. no, no. But that, that, that's what I'm just wondering why the whole group needs to be there. Yeah. Well, of course, we're not always here <laughs> all the time. Um, most of my colleagues, I think, are probably um, elsewhere at any given moment uh, during the week. And, you know, I've seen on social media, most of them have been out chapping doors quite a lot in, in recent weeks, which is the right way to, to try and win an election. Look, our role down here is pretty simple, um, in my eyes. Our, our role is to stand up for Scotland and to advance the, the cause of, of Scottish independence whilst doing so. If we're not here, if we're not making the most of the, the platform that we have, then those green benches just fill up with other people who will move along from the Labour benches or move down from the Lib Dem benches or so on and so forth and use the speaking time that we have to put forward their arguments and their cases. So I want to make sure that we make the most of the platform that we've been given by the Scottish people. Uh, and, you know, I will never whilst we're under um, the, the auspices of, of Westminster, whilst we still send MPs here, I will never leave the, the Scottish people without a voice in Westminster. And that's a very important point because we can be Scotland's voice here and we are Scotland's voice. And we need to oh, make yeah. sure I, mean, that, that, that's, I don't think anyone is seriously suggesting that. They're not suggesting, hey, all the MPs should come home. And, uh, but there might be... Some people do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they do. I mean, but I'm... I'm I would like to think that that, that was not actually a majority opinion, but but who knows? The, the reality is that there is a real danger in being part of the very system that you hope to not be a part of. And I just wondered why, I mean, it seems to me that oh, given that the branches would fill up with Labour uh, MPs, I can quite understand that. But I just wondered if it's possible to have the same voice, because you're very good. I mean, there's no question. I, I speak to people who are not independent supporters, but they are Stephen Flynn supporters. That's quite nice. <laughs> and they will never, they will never vote for independence, you know, whatever happens. But they, they, they do support you, and the reason they support you is because of eloquence, and it's because of conviction, and it's also because, frankly, you have an imposing presence on the floor. That's terribly important, and I wouldn't seek, to, in any way, shape, or form, uh, to understate that. But I just wondered if it, if there's some mechanism that says. We are going to retain that, but we, we are going to also create a presence in Scotland around our MSP and MP base, perhaps to put forward a constitutional convention which would promote uh, a constitution for an independent Scotland. And that's, that would be something that people would focus on persistently and consistently so that the Scottish people could see that the SNP group were being very assertive. Uh, because there's a, I think there's a danger right now, if I may say so, that the group is seen to be non-assertive, okay. despite your performance on the floor. So I would, um, I would probably challenge that a wee bit, just gently push back, because you know, see when I look at the work that that my colleagues are doing down here, and it's far more than just me asking a couple of questions on a Wednesday afternoon. Um, when I look at the the finance bill yesterday, which basically can is the, the government's mechanism for putting through its budget. It was Drew Henry who was speaking the, the loudest and the most assertive yeah. in relation to the, the cost of living crisis and the support that should be there. If we go back just a couple of weeks to the post office um, scandal uh, in Westminster finally waking up to that, 
it was Marion Fellows, um, obviously my colleague from from Mullerwell, who was at the forefront of um, the debate in and around that, because Marion's been working on that for years under the radar to, to make sure that, that justice was was found for those people. When we go a little bit further back, when we go back to when Boris Johnson prorogued Parliament, it was my colleague Joanna Cherry, who of course showed that to, to be unlawful and ensured that Parliament was sitting again. Um, and I could go through probably every single one of my colleagues, Alison Thulis, um, when it comes to the, the two child cap and the rape clause, who, who of course has, has brought that to to public consciousness in a way that it wasn't previously and you know i could go one by one and say all these things that, that have made a difference not just to their constituents but to people right across scotland and that's us using the platform that we have here in westminster to be that voice for scotland now incrementally working on all those things and you know not all of them uh, end up with flashing lights on the six o'clock news but it still is important and if we weren't the ones doing it then I dare say no, nobody would be doing it. And, yeah. you know, that circles us back to the situation in, in Gaza and to the fact it was SNP MPs. Of course, the, the motion was in, in, or the amendment was in my name, but it was all of my colleagues, United, um, who were able to do that and use our position as third party in Westminster to gain the time in the House of Commons to ensure that MPs had a vote or whether there should be a ceasefire or not. And, you know, when we get the opportunity in a few weeks, hopefully, through an opposition day debate to do the same. It will be the SNP who use their time to, to really drive home what the values are of, of people in Scotland. And that that's our role. Our role is to stand up for Scotland, be that voice. And in doing so, I genuinely believe that we advance the, the cause of Scottish independence incrementally. And in the same way that Alec did all those years ago when he came to prominence by interrupting a budget back, I think, before there was even TV cameras, um, he used the, this place to, to advance his cause and the cause of Scottish independence. And, you know, we're doing the, the same now through every single action that we take when we're here. And, you know, when my colleagues aren't here, myself included, we're making sure that we are speaking with businesses and with people in the streets right across Scotland. And we do that. Our staff teams are always working every single day to support people right across constituencies as well. I know my own office deals with thousands upon thousands of emails um, every year, as everyone does. And, you know, we can make that difference and we can ultimately, when we're doing that, advance the cause that, that we all so dearly believe in. And at some point, hopefully, we will get to the point where we no longer need to send MPs down here. And I tell you what, I'll be the, I'll be the happiest man <laughs> going when that's, when that's the case, um, because Scottish Scottish MPs um, should be should be um, should not be something which Westminster entertains for the future. Um, our yeah. Parliament is in Holyrood, and that's where our future lies. I, I, it's very laudable, and I agree with everything you said. I was simply making the point that, uh, despite all of that hard work, there's a general view that the SNP generally needs to be much more assertive. Uh, and setting the agenda. The, the impression that lots of people get, rightly or wrongly, is that the SNP reacts, i.e. the government plans to do something and the SNP responds and applies. Uh, there's not too much of the other part going on where the SNP is saying, look, this is what we are doing. This is why I mentioned the Constitutional Convention uh, so often. Yeah. This is what we are doing. This is a, going to be a fact. This is going to happen. And what you're doing is you're pushing the envelope as opposed to reacting to what someone else has said. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, we're, we're always, 
you know, I'm I'm always happy to, to speak with folk about what we could be doing differently or, or, or better. And, you know, on the constitutional convention side of things, um, I think we're, we're broadly speaking uh, in the same place. And, and hopefully um, at some point in the not too distant future, we can get to a point where we can bring together that wider civic society in Scotland to, to, to debate where we go. Um, and I think that would be of benefit to, to all of us, not just those who believe in independence, but for those who don't as well. Because ultimately, it's Scotland is, belongs to all of us. It's all of our countries. Exactly. Um, exactly. And we need to make sure that everyone is involved now and in the future to to make Scotland the place uh, it can ultimately be. Uh, absolutely. And uh, oh, by the way, who who is responsible for setting up the convention? Who is doing that inside? Well, you're, 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 you're testing me there. Let me come back to you on that one, John. Let me come back to you on that one. That's well, I mention it because people find it hugely uh, interesting. That's why I mention it. It's not it's not a, a you know sort of passing circumstance. The people do say to me all the time. So when is it going to happen? Who's doing it? Uh, what's happening and uh, for me it, it I, I said it before but it seems to me to be a vote winner uh, and uh, anything that gets extra votes going up to the next is good has to be a good thing that's all I'm suggesting to you but yes if you could come back to us and also I, I know we're encroaching vastly into your time here but uh, it would be lovely to have longer to talk about some of these issues and perhaps a few others that I'm sure yeah. you would like to talk about I mean I've done most of the questioning but uh, it would be great if we got more time sometime, perhaps uh, later in the future, maybe later in the month or next month when things are a bit easier for you. Yeah, um, the the one challenge I face in life, which is graver than uh, having to fit my team in with my kids, uh, is trying to fit in time for, for everything else. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure we can get something uh, sorted in the not-too-distant future. Uh, and if you can come back to us with the details on the Constitutional Convention, that would be fantastic. Yeah, we'll we be happy to publicise it here. We, we, can, we can see if anything's been followed up on the back of the, the motion that was agreed at conference. But I, as I would say, I imagine much of that's probably been um, superseded by the, the fact that we'll be in a general election campaign. <laughs> we are in a general election campaign right yeah. now, aren't we? So we'll take well, I, I hope not, because we both agree it's terribly important to reach out to that bunch of folks who are not political. And if you ask them any political questions, they look at you with that strange expression that says, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm conscious of the fact that your team has said to us, look, uh, Stephen only has this limited amount of time. I think, I think I'm a wee bit over, but um, it's, been a, it's, been, it's been a real pleasure to, to be on. Uh, keep up the good work and, uh, and all the best for the future. Thanks, Stephen. Look forward to the next time. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye now. Well, that's great. And now we'll be joined by Mike Small of Bella Caledonium. A big thank you to Stephen Flynn for finding the time to talk to us in a very busy schedule. As he says, he has to fit in all these family uh, uh, requirements. He has to fit in uh, party requirements, all the speaking engagements, all the emails, all the rest of it. That perhaps explains why I'm not a politician. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What about you, Mike? Would you like the political life like that? I I don't think so. No, not for me. (laughs) <laughs> we were talking earlier, and thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it uh, earlier about uh, some of the issues that are, are current in, in Scotland. And I was talking to Stephen there about the Constitutional Convention because it seems he's agreeing it's very important. Uh, you would like to think there's going to be some movement along these lines, uh, perhaps to see it being realised. As you look at the Scottish scene today uh, through the eyes of Bella Caledonia, what, what do you see as the big issues? I think... The cost of living crisis is um, is in everybody's experience, and uh, I saw Hamza Yusuf being interviewed yesterday by Alistair Campbell, and and he brought this up as the kind of dominant 
issue of the day. Um, people are living with horrendous choices about heating or eating, um, people falling into poverty, people already in poverty falling into destitution. And this is um, the direct result of uh, the management of the economy by um, the British government. And, um, and I think that's the dominant issue of the day. I think that for people's lived experience, but I think also the ongoing atrocities in Gaza uh, are are also a kind of stain on our existence at the moment and yeah. a direct result of the, the British state, state and the arms industry. It's, it's interesting. I was reading a book on um, Alexander Hamilton earlier and uh, he drew a sharp distinction. I think now we call it realpolitik, that states behave not on their sympathies but on their interests. I mean, it's it's a it's a trial, frankly, for people outside the political setup to understand that uh, that that states have a particular mindset, which is very hard for them to shift, and it makes people looking from the outside perplexed. Mm-hmm. They, they they see moral situations, and they do not understand why states don't behave morally. I think that's the issue. Yeah, I mean, clearly there's vested economic interests in the in the arms trade, um, but there's also geopolitical pressures at play here with connections between the British government and players within it, and and Israel, and then of course with America, which is is the the main supporter of of Israel and the main supporter of the atrocities that we see unfolding on our timelines. And I think one of the things that we're witnessing is. The first kind of live streamed genocide it's a appalling appalling thing to witness um and i think it's quite damaging for people's mental health to feel this powerless in the face of such atrocities some people uh, i see some people by no means a majority see things like this is the nazis final <laughs> reward as it were is that they they've they've turned people into behaving a bit like themselves. Would you go that far? I think it's really important to honour the the Jewish Holocaust and to um, fight back against anti-Semitism, but there is clearly a, a dark irony in the situation in Gaza um, resembling the Warsaw Ghetto. And um, down the time, that shift of, of power happening and, and trauma being transferred to a different generation but I would, I would always uh, want to to stand out against anti-Semitism as well as call out the atrocities of the Israeli state. Yeah, yeah, I think it's important to draw that distinction. And thank you for helping us do that. The question that came up uh, that I put to Stephen, I would like to put to you, if I may, yeah. which is a lot of people say to me that the SNP are just not assertive enough. Hmm. They say that you know you you can't really expect the existing state to comply. You 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 have to persuade the existing state to concede. And while there is a moral argument that we discussed, and I take it you would accept that moral argument that the Scots are sovereign, mm-hmm. but for practical purposes, Westminster remains the mm-hmm. state sovereignty is vested there, and therefore the, the the question is how do you put the moral case. And it's hard to say how you can do that without being assertive. Would you agree? I would, but I, I think I might frame it slightly differently in that the SNP are a mainstream party, a political party. 
which uh, are in government in Holyrood and participate in Westminster. So it's almost like asking an entity that isn't to do something that it isn't. It's a mainstream political party operating within mainstream party politics with uh, mainstream policies. It's not an insurgent movement. So the movement asking it to be something it isn't, isn't really going to work. Yes, in theory, it could behave differently, but it's not going to. It hasn't shown any sign that it is going to. And uh, keeping asking it to do that, I think, misunderstands the the nature of the beast. I think I think you're right, though, in the wider sense that Scottish independence is about rupture. It is about dismantling the British state. It is about succession. And the narrative that we are told all the time is from from the mainstream of the party is nothing will really change. You don't need to be frightened about anything. Everything's kind of going to be the same. It won't really be much bother. You know, uh, don't frighten the horses and so on. Nothing's going to change about the economy. You're not going to have to face any difficulties. It's all going to be very smooth and it'll all be fine. Now, that's clearly nonsense. It's utter nonsense. We are talking about dismantling the British state. We're talking about a huge change, rupture. And as we face the challenges that we face about our society and about our environment and about climate, we as a society have to make massive changes. And Scottish independence is located within that wider reality of society. So I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, on the one hand, we have politicians telling us it's all going to be fine. It's all going to be very smooth. Don't worry about anything. And the rest of us are looking at the world going, how can that possibly be true? I, I think that's, you've hit, you've gone straight to the nub of it, it seems to me. That there's a huge confusion out there. I just don't think it works to say to people, bide your time, take a deep breath, in due course, things will get better. Mm-hmm. Because we have, a, we have a magic bullet here called independence. And your standard of living is going to improve dramatically once we fire that magic bullet. But mm-hmm. it ain't going to happen right now because mm-hmm. we don't have our finger on the trigger. Some other guy does. And you think, mm-hmm. well, what's the point of the bullet then if you can't fire it? And that's where people, I'm sorry, I have all these mixed metaphors. I do apologize. <laughs> but nonetheless, I think I'm slightly trying to articulate the confusion in people's minds. Mm-hmm. They have a problem right now. I can't feed the kids. I can't pay my rent. The, the landlord has just put up my expenses yet again, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, council, all the rest of it, all the, it just goes on and on. They, they, they go to the supermarket and they say, I have a real problem. Mm. And I'm looking to you guys who claim that you want to represent me to fix yeah. it. Now yeah. fix it. And I think, um, I mean, Stephen Flynn's a, a politician that I have some admiration for, but I think it was quite telling in your interview with him. You were saying, what about constitutional convention? There was a motion passed at your party conference. When's that happening? And he was kind of like, mm. I mean, to all intents and purposes, he, he told you it's not going to happen. Exactly. It's not going to happen because there's a general election coming up and all the political parties want to knock shade out of each other in the battle to win seats. So their, their only raison d'etre this year is to get elected, to get into Westminster, to get re-elected. And... It's, it's a kind of game without real victory. You know, we, we've got into this narrative, which is get the Tories out. Who's going to get the Tories out? Vote Labour, vote SNP, get the Tories out. And of course, you want the Tories out. But 
it's it's a very narrowing agenda where everything gets reduced to get the Tories out. Yeah. Because you've you've we've been here before. We've been here before many times. You get Labour in, and then they disappoint. This time they've disappointed in advance. All of our all of our disillusionment has happened six months before they get elected, rather than six months after they get elected. Yeah. But it is a very reductive political game that the exactly. only purpose is to get the Tories out. For what? To what intents and purpose? Yeah. Uh, what is the actual goal and vision and aspiration of these Precisely. parties? It seems very unclear to me. And it seemed to me that a constitutional convention was a way of putting cloth on that uh, that aspiration. Because yeah. you yeah. have to make it real. The, the longer you talk about aspirations, the more people switch off. Because what they're saying is you, you should be doing something concrete. And yeah. I, I invited Stephen to talk about a concrete thing mm-hmm. and to see it as a benefit, not a not a handicap, yeah. but in fact, and this seems to be true about the whole of the SNP, and I apologise if I misconstrued this, but my sense of it is they, they would rather not deal with the Constitution, even though they want to change it. it it's a nuisance. It, it's, it's something to be dealt with at some other time, at so, in some yeah. other place. And the Constitutional Convention would have fixed that problem right away. And instead of seeing it as a problem, to see it as a real asset, to go into elections saying, this is what we're going to do right away. You're going to have a voice, not just every general election and not just every Scottish election, but yeah. all of the time. You know, now the argument, counter argument, I, I can hear it now is, well, you've got MSPs, you've got MPs. It's not enough. It's not enough. I, I was, it was enough. I think that time is gone. I think people are looking for something very different. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because the people that deliver that will deliver it are professional politicians in mainstream political parties, and it's not in their interest to deliver it, because delivering it would cede power or share power down to ordinary people, and that's not in their interests. Um, it, it may happen if people want to set up a entirely civic based convention or um, or uh, assembly. Uh, or assemblies, and that might be uh, a road for the movement to go down, but it's not going to be delivered by political parties, in my in my opinion. In that case, the political parties then effectively, they're reducing themselves by avoidance, uh, because all that happens is that people say, well, this guy next door who set up the assembly actually has, has his finger on the pulse far, in a far better way than you guys are managing. Uh, and so therefore, if he ever, ever stood for election, I'd, I'd vote for him. You know, it seems to be it's it's reductive. It takes you takes the parties into a place where they shouldn't really want to go, to be seen as less and less relevant. I think I think particularly at these troubled times, you need to be seen to be more relevant. Yeah. You 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 need to be very assertive. You can't afford to go into an election where people are starving and can't afford a roof over their head, saying, "Well, you know, uh, we'll tweak this and we'll tweak that, and I shall make a speech." You think, oh, "I'm sorry." Yeah, I mean, there is the point. There is the point where you uh, get social breakdown and ecological breakdown, and yeah. nothing changes, and nobody offers alternatives. And 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 I think we're we're nearing that point where people's uh, faith in political systems is eroded and undermined by inaction and uh, complicity. And I think we're we're very near that point. And I think it's it's interesting in. I think that's true in in lots of Western society, but it's got a particular aspect in in Britain where there's also the the constitutional question uh, laid over that reality, where people feel very frustrated 
um, and very disappointed and and don't don't see directly where there are uh, alternatives. Yeah, and that that leads to uh, an increase in populism, where people suddenly appear on your television screen saying like they did over Brexit. I've got the magic bullet here. I've got a button here, right, if I can mix my metaphors again. And if I press that, you're going to have a job. In fact, you're going to get paid more. And I'll tell you something, where I'm going to find the money is because of all these immigrants. Yeah. And I'm going to bear down on them. And from them, I'm going to get all this money and I'm going to give it to you. Bingo. That's right. 40 new hospitals stopped the boats. Yeah. Uh, we saw the prime minister of this country taking a, a bet yesterday for a thousand pounds on television, I mean, just really depraved behaviour um, that in, in previous times might have, have, have led to resignation or, or shame. But uh, that, that's, the, that's Britain in 2024. That's the, the British state that we're, um, that we're still attached to. That was the underlying point I was trying to make during the earlier interview, mm-hmm. that when people feel that there's no uh, moral anchor, yeah. it's vastly in your interest to provide one. Mm-hmm. And I would rather than shun morality, which is what most politicians are prone to do, is to embrace it and say, the fact that you're starving and your kids don't get fed, that's morally wrong. Yeah. That's not a political problem. It's a moral yeah. problem. Yeah. And I think um, I'm very critical of the SNP, but I think to their credit, uh, both Stephen Flynn and Hamza Yusuf and others have been very good at, at, at calling for a ceasefire in Gaza denouncing the actions of the Israeli state and in stark contrast to the British government and indeed to the Labour Party. So I think that is to their credit because this is a moral question that uh, we're all presented with at the moment. And I think that's an example where they they have stepped up in many other issues. I think they have have failed, but I think in that respect, they have spoken out very clearly. Yeah, Yeah, I I agree. They, They deserve enormous credit. Uh, because there must have been many voices saying, look, don't say anything. Yeah. It'll be far better for you in the long term. Uh, you need to ingratiate yourself with a, a portion of the electorate who will find this unpalatable. They've, they've stepped up to the plate. They've knocked out the park. What troubles me is they, did, they don't take the next step, mm-hmm. which is to say, as a result of that moral imperative, we plan to do the following. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's missing so much, so much of the time. And listening to Stephen, he, he spoke with enormous feeling, uh, and, and rightly in my view, about the fantastic work that the group of MPs are doing there. Yeah. And I didn't feel I got an answer to the question is, why does everyone have to be there, apart from the notion that somehow the green benches that they left behind would be occupied by Labour? Well, I think most people in Scotland would say, so what? I, I'd rather you were back here tackling, making concrete steps uh, to reduce... Uh, to somehow find money for people who desperately need to uh, clothe and feed their kids. Yeah, I mean, There's clearly... symbolic things. Yeah, clearly in his response, he sees the active work of the SNP in calling the British government to account and um, questioning legislation as it passes through Parliament. And and there is an argument for that. Um, until you get to a state where you've got an alternative strategy, that's what they're going to do. And I think... If the SNP are to be questioned, it's for two things. It's One is for failure of policy in Holyrood, which we can talk about or mm. people can, can challenge. And the other, I think, is a failure of strategy. What is the strategy for winning independence? Exactly. What is the purpose of 
MPs going to Westminster? What are they doing there and what is their plan? And it does seem, I think, um, a little bit hazy. Um, But unless there's a time where there's an alternative strategy that's really clear, i.e. we are not going to take our seats because we've got something else to do and this is our 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 constitutional strategy they are going to do what they currently do which is question legislation yeah and 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 for a lot of people that seems like half the half the job mm-hmm. they, they want to see them doing the other half of the job they do I, and i said to stephen and I, I i i stick by this they do a great job with that part of the job holding mm-hmm. the government to account mm-hmm. what's missing is the other bit that says i'm going to require the government to do the following and they have to tell the world why it's not going to happen. Then that does occur from time to time. Yeah. But it's not part of anything cohesive. I yeah. think that's the point. Yeah. And I think people need that and they want that. And uh, and, and they're just not getting it. And I, and I think uh, what that does is it leaves a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And then it gets filled by all sorts of stuff, extraneous stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, because people don't see that assertion, I keep using the word, but it seems to me it's important, mm-hmm. because people respond to assertive politicians, uh, good or bad, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying anything that's terribly innovative and creative here. Anyone who's looked at, dare I say, it, uh, the likes of um, uh, Farage and others, they've got nothing behind them, but, mm-hmm. but they sound as if they do. Um, and I think you have to, if you can take yeah. a proselytizing approach coupled with real achievements, then you've got the best of both worlds. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we can see the the, the rise of the far right and of um, the populist right in America and in Britain is extraordinary. And people in desperate times, if you tell people very simple, even simplistic, crude solutions, yeah. which uh, other people um, blame people, often people from abroad. I mean, we're in an extraordinary position, which um, where we have we had um, Pretty Patel as our Home Secretary. Um, and we have home secretaries and um, domestic policy, which is essentially what the um, National Front in 1974 would be advocating yeah. as, as mainstream British yeah. government policy. It is extraordinary. And we also see the Labour Party, the incoming Labour government, as it is completely ca- uh, capitulating to, to this agenda of um, stop the boats, blaming immigrants, and um, it's 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 terrifying times to live in. Why do you think that has happened? Why why does why does the Labour Party take this supine approach to politics? It surely can't just be grubbing for votes. Surely, yeah. I think you'll be aware of that idea of the Overton window, the kind of the the the, the frame of what's politically acceptable in in society. The Overton window has shifted to the right. Mm. Um, over over years, and um, I think particularly, you're not really allowed to talk about English politics or English culture, but I think we need to. I think English political culture is such that it's been captured by an agenda and a set of uh, influencers and uh, think tanks and media which dominate uh, the public, the public realm, the public narrative, and the Labour Party have to operate within that Overton window that is quite far to the right. Um, We saw with uh, Jeremy Corbyn, um, and we see previously when the Labour Party moved to the left, their leadership would be savagely attacked by the right-wing press, denounced, rubbished, smeared, 
And not only that, but people within the Labour Party did it to their own leader and yeah. destroyed his candidacy. So so I think Starmer uh, is operating within that that framework of what's acceptable to say in, in English political culture. I, I think it is very sad. Uh, uh, I mean, we spoke to Elliot Bulmer last week and his big concern, uh, and it's been voiced by others, various professors and, and philosophers we've interviewed from the South um, who've said that the English people can't speak. There is no voice. There is no forum because the British Parliament is seen to be the English Parliament. And what that does is it, it, it sort of, it neuters the ability for people in England to have the conversation that, of the kind that you and I have been having about what's best, what values, what morals. I mean, you never hear that discussion. There's nobody in England says, look, guys, we need to talk about ourselves. I mean, forget the, the Celtic fringe for a second. You and I need to have a conversation about what sort of England we want to see yeah. going forward. Where is the place for that to take place? There is no place. I think it's uh, it's true that, that, that Britain is uh, overlaid on top of uh England, uh, as Tom Nairn would have would have had it in the past. I think there are some voices on the on the left who are concerned with this, but it's very peripheral. And even notions about devolution within England are 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 currently reduced to sort of let's have a mayor, yeah. and uh, that's often the way they discuss devolution, as if that's the same thing, which it clearly isn't. Um, so it is a real problem in England being able to talk to and about itself and. And its own direction is a, is a real problem, yeah, yeah, and, and this and being subsumed into a culture which doesn't actually achieve very much in that regard. I mean, I, I, I know to Scots ears it may sound very odd to say that England doesn't have a voice when they watch Westminster and they hear politicians saying this is what we want to achieve in the NHS in England, mm. but, but nonetheless, it, it, that's not the same thing. It's not the same thing as somebody asking you. How do you see your future? Yeah. Because that's a powerful question because it liberates you as the responder to express what you feel is important to you. And Scotland's had that conversation now for decades. For, for 100 years or more, yeah. yeah. And um, I, think, I think not being able to identify yourself uh, is, is a problem. Uh, I think if you look recently at the, the Brexit uh, debacle, there was a lot of talk of uh, Britannia Unchained and that was a book written by the, the right of the Tory party. And this is kind of British nationalism. This is um, triumphalism. It's also deeply deluded. And while that narrative dominates, it's very diff difficult for ordinary English people to begin to have a honest conversation about uh, the problems we have in our society and how you might, um, you might improve them because you're kind of getting high on this notion of uh, Britain Unchained and a global Britain and all this while people are facing poverty and destitution um, like we haven't seen for decades. So it's a it's a, a, a real crisis. Yeah, I saw a stat once that said that most people in, in the UK could identify a spitfire from its silhouette, but no one in Germany could, in, could identify a Messerschmitt. And that spoke to a cultural choice yeah. about, about applauding things that have gone, yeah. not looking to the future. That's right. I mean, it's a culture absolutely saturated in nostalgia, and um, it has been called, I've heard it called Spitfire Nationalism, 
where um, England in particular is obsessed with the 1940s, the war, the blitz spirit. It comes up as a meme and a metaphor again and again and again. And you can imagine why it was a, a proud moment in our history and defeating Nazism was uh, probably a, a high, high point, but it is always backwards looking. And the whole Brexit debacle is about an obsession with the past and a concept of Britain that is gone. And it avoids us facing the absolutely desperate problems we face in terms of what we're going to do about the ecology, what we're going to do about social breakdown and economic collapse. I agree. And it's also a distorted view of the past. Hmm. It doesn't take into account the atrocities. It doesn't take into account slavery. It doesn't take into account how various um, countries and nations and, and people across the world were debauched in order mm -hmm. to provide a more comfortable level, not for the great mass of people yeah. in the UK, but for a privileged few. And in fact, the reverse is presented to people. I mean, when mm -hmm. I was at school, I was told all about Clive, but not in the sense that would give me an appreciation for what Clive was, a monster, but rather as some redeemer mm -hmm. who rescued the Indians from squalor. And I'm thinking, well, hold on a second. Didn't I read somewhere else that the Indians had a, a, a civilization that predated ours by at least 3,000 years? Where did the squalor come from? <laughs> oh, it's because they're inferior. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Come on. I imagine textbooks are still full of that nonsense. I hope not. Mm. So it's, it's like looking through a, a glass darkly, it seems to me. It's not mm. even looking past is one thing, and, and you would want to value your, your background and culture. But at the same time, if that is a distorted image, it doesn't do you any good, it seems to me. It, it, cut, yeah. it gets in the way of moving forward. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. But I also think, I mean, I think it's interesting what we're witnessing at the moment, that the British state's attempt to suppress or repress change. So as you mentioned earlier yesterday, saying to uh, Northern Ireland, now is not the time for a border poll and the suppression of the right of Scottish people to have a referendum. It doesn't actually work. It, it, this this repression of change, this tightening down, this saying we're not going to allow democracy to flourish, we're not going to allow votes to happen, it doesn't actually work. And you can see that by the election of Michelle O'Neill as the First Minister in Stormont. Change is happening. Northern Ireland and uh, Ireland have gone through dramatic cultural and social change in the last 20 years that have completely changed the landscape there and allowed for people in the north who would previously not uh, consider it to consider voting for unification. And if that happens, which is looking more likely now, if that happens, it will dramatically change some of the dynamics within the British state and the British Isles. And um, I think we need to remember that we are not Scotland alone fighting a binary battle for, for our independence. There are a number of players at play here and they, they do interact with each other. Yeah, I think so. So I, I suppose my thesis is that the, the British state's attempt to make sure nothing changes and nobody's allowed to vote doesn't actually work because change is happening um, underneath. Yeah, I, I, it, it doesn't work in the short term because it, it gives you, uh, you know, a, a breathing space, but you yeah. have to use the breathing space. And that's the problem. Nobody's using the breathing space. I think that's the... Uh, talking about Northern Ireland, isn't 
Sinn Féin in a particularly advantageous position, leaving aside all the connections to Europe and the, the different uh, arrangements that we worked out there for the benefit of the, the province, and that they do not send MPs to Westminster. Mm. So they are not compromised. They are not, in the eyes of some people, compromised because they don't have to worry about... I mean, nobody has to make speeches on the floor. Nobody has to participate in Westminster because they're saying it's not relevant. We, we don't yeah. intend to be a part of this. Yeah. I mean, historically, Sinn Féin have never sent uh, MPs. And I suppose it, it, it is a strategy. Um, it's historically what they've done. I suppose the difference with the SNP is that Sinn Féin did evolve out of a uh, Republican insurgency movement, which is, is is quite different from the SNP's history. So, again, I think um, they would argue that sending MPs give Westminster legitimacy, which they do not want to do. But these two political parties come from very different political backgrounds and socioeconomic cultures. Um, and Ireland has a a much more radical tradition, even though it is a conservative country in some ways. Um, we, we don't we don't have that tradition in Scotland. That is not where the SNP comes from. And so I would just repeat, in asking them to be something they are not probably isn't going to work. I, I agree with that. I, I think some things um, you can learn from what other people are doing without necessarily embracing it. Uh, I, I think there are... There are uh, opportunities uh, to modify uh, an approach. And perhaps, as you say, Mike, because it seems to me this is hugely important, uh, to actually uh, not just produce a strategy mm-hmm. for West, for the SNP at Westminster, but to make it very clear to everybody what that role is and what its end point will be and as yeah. well as how it's going to change over time. And I think all of these things are terribly important. I think there was a time when we could we could put the constitution to one side and say, well, that's very nice to have and we'll deal with it at some stage. I think now we're getting to constitutional, beyond constitutional niceties and people need it spelled out. And I think that's maybe the, the change that's... And I think the Northern Ireland developments will accelerate uh, that sense of, please let us know what, what's, what are the next steps. Yeah. That will be very interesting. We're almost out of time, Mike. Are there any uh, points you would like to make before we close? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think it's interesting. A lot of us in the independence movement spend a lot of time criticising the media, quite rightly, because we aren't represented. It is bias. Um, and I would just urge people to support independent thinking, pro-independence media. So turn that negative into a positive yes. and support uh, Independence Live, TNT, uh, ourselves at Bella. And um, that is the way to amplify our voice, to network and to build our, our movement. Uh, yeah. So I would put out a plea. <laughs> well, that, that's a very important plea. And it's also worth adding some colour to that in the sense that the, the head of Reach Newspapers has told uh his staff, which includes people who work for the Daily Record and the Express, that they're in an existential situation and he can't see them existing any more than five to seven years in the future. Mm -hmm. So since these newspapers are going to disappear anyway, (laughs) that's an additional reason uh, for making sure that uh, Bella Caledonia and the other outlets that Mike has mentioned are part of your uh, media mix. 
uh, and, and support Bella Caledonia because, as you can see by the evidence of this show, there's a lot of hard work and strong intellectual uh, capacity there, which needs to be endorsed and supported. Uh, and uh, the independence movement be well advised uh, to provide that support and not give it to people who denigrate and deny. Uh, far better to be positive, in my humble opinion, uh, than to crib and complain about uh, other entities. We, we have our own here. Make use of it. Very important. Mike, thanks very much. I appreciate all your time and, and trouble. Thanks uh, very much. Good to speak to you. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you've enjoyed this episode and maybe even found something useful to share in your next conversation with an undecided voter, please give us a like and please also subscribe. It's free. New episodes out every Friday. Catch you later. Bye now. Bye now.